The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, morning, Mike. Mike. We are days away from the ho-ho-ho day. We are just a couple of weeks ahead of the Winter Classic. And even allowing for the late start in the year with suspensions to talk about. Was it really the, a late start, though? Well, it, the, the season did start a couple of weeks later than it normal, normally did. Okay. Not hugely late. But even allowing for the suspensions we're going to talk about and the Evander Kane news and um, a certain dude who's had two six-point nights this season – uh, yeah. Our poll from last week and a comparison of a pair of high end stars today to a pair of high end stars from a few years back. Yeah. I think we have to collective individually and collectively acknowledge that the standings really, 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 really actually sort of mean something right now today because we were literally just looking at the standings before I hit the record button, and I'm agog at some of the standings. Like, legit, my jaw hung open when I looked at some of these things, and I'm somewhat surprised the Bruins are still in first place. The two losses uh, so close together. Two losses so close to Yeah, and there's... It- I mean, if you lose to Arizona, do you automatically drop like and, and I, you know, do you automatically drop a place or two? I mean, is it like just a? It's that should be like an automatic letter grade, like confusing <laughs> Washington and Jefferson. <laughs> um, is... But seriously, as much as you know, we wanted to we want to talk about New Jersey, um, and there's a good reason to talk about New Jersey. Huh. As I said, at, at what point do you start accepting that they're for real? I still haven't done it. I still, I'm still waiting for the, what I thought was the inevitable crash, and it's not there yet. They're ten goals above the games played. Uh, ten, their goal differential is ten above the games played uh, total. If we can't accept it now. Um, if you can't accept it now, you're going to still be scratching your head when the playoffs start and they're hosting someone. I guess I'll still be scratching my head. I'm just – the fact that they're 21-5-1, and one, it, it's like when did this become real? I mean but it's New Jersey. The scary, scary, scary part isn't that they're 21-5-1. Uh, it's that they're 11-1 and one on the road. 11 and 1 on the road. That makes them dangerous. It, it, come playoff time, and yes, it's still a long ways away. I get it. But come playoff time, that the ability to win on the road is going to help them because you inevitably have to play at least two games on the road in a playoff series. No one else is even close to them on the road. I mean, Vegas is 12-2-1. and one. Um, even Carolina, who's got a strong record, they're 10-3-5. Uh, like, 
if Bill Differential and the road record don't tell you you need to pay attention to this team, I, I can't help you. No, the the win percentage is at 796 there, so they're just a shade behind Boston. And, well, I had hope for the New Jersey Devils. Like, I was expect. I think they're like, I think we were all expecting them to maybe be in a playoff race two years from now. But the future is now, apparently. As opposed to the team in second place in the West, where everyone was expecting the uh, earth-shattering kaboom uh, to come along and just blow up the Winnipeg roster for parts uh, and prospects sometime between, you know, now and the trade deadline. But here they are, 7-12 points percentage, actually the best in the West, uh, but they played three less games and have four less points than the Vegas Knights. Something tells me that Sheveldayoff is secretly hoping that nobody notices because the the lack of conversation about what they're doing, the lack of conversation about where they're where they're stand where they are in the standings, what their record is, is beautiful thing because hey, literally the point I was going to bring up. <laughs> and guess what they can do uh, when they when the playoffs roll around? And it doesn't matter whether they're still second best in the West, whether the best in the West, whether they scrape, whether they hit some hard times and scrape in in the second wild card spot. They can play the disrespect, and no one expected us to be here, and everyone looked down at us. No pressure on us, game every single night. No, they're going to use the Patriots tactic. We're the underdogs. Nobody's given us a chance. And they're right. Well, <laughs> they'd be right to do it. No one was talking about Winnipeg making the playoffs this year. No one. No one was talking about the Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Jets being number one in the West. I just, I mean, yeah. at this point, at this point. The Winnipeg Jets are in the playoffs. And the Stanley Cup champions are not. No, the Stanley Cup champions have a little bit of an injury bug happening. I mean, the the the, the team, I'm doing air quotes, the team that they fielded or put on the ice for the game against the Bruins... AHL team, yeah. A very a, a lot of a lot of uh, most of the top AHL teams would have beaten them. Um, and that was just that was just ugly. I mean, I mean, Linus Omar, and it's funny because I keep talking about Linus and and yes. his numbers and and yes. but if you look at awesome. if you look at Hellebuck's numbers, time. every time you get a chance, yes. But if you look at Hellebuck's numbers, seriously, 2.24 goals against average, 9.32 save percentage. He's right up there. He's like third or fourth in the league. Nobody's talking about him. And they're doing it with legit half of their opening night, and he's doing it with legit half of the opening night roster unable to play. 
at one yeah. point last week, nine of the 18 skaters, nine of the 18 skaters who were on the ice for opening night for the Colorado Avalanche were not available to the head coach. And the scary thing there is they have three games in hand on Calgary, three games in hand on Edmonton, four games in hand on Vegas. Um, Winnipeg. And same uh, one game in hand on Winnipeg, correct. Um, and if they're going and they're just what is it two points out of the second wild card? If they get you know Landeskog and McKinnon and the rest of the crew back reasonably healthy, somebody's losing a playoff spot. If they can get back without losing too many other players. They're big names. Someone's losing the playoff spot. Well, that's who they got. They got Georgiev and Francos. Georgiev has got a 920 and a 265. He's having himself a decent season. I was talking about I was talking about Winnipeg and and how Hellebuck has been standing on his head as well. But oh, yeah, yeah. It, no disrespect to Hellebuck at all. But and Winnipeg may well hold on to their playoff spot. I, they're just no one. They are the Spanish Inquisition this year. But as far as Colorado's, yeah, Colorado. I I don't know what to make of Colorado because it. How do you judge a team that's missing everything? Uh, the captain. This dog. Yep. Uh, they haven't had Bowen Byram. Yep. Uh, I mean. They're, they're now pairing Gerard and Makar together, which you normally wouldn't do, considering they're both similar style defense, offensive defensemen. Makar is better, but I, I really like Sam Gerard, but I wouldn't Makar's, put them together. Makar's defensive game is coming along nicely. Um, he's definitely ahead of where Eric Carlson was at a similar point in his career. Mm-hmm. Um and I think Ger- I think Gerard's defensive game is better than when he first came into the league. I'm not prepared to gi- I'm not prepared to give either one of them a standing O for their defensive uh, uh, defensive work, but uh, they're definitely better than they have been in the past in that back end. The thing that worries me most about the Winnipeg Jets. And that's aside from the streakiness of certain players on the roster. (laughs) Because we know PLD, we know Kyle Connor are both having strong seasons. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois, 28 points, 26 games. Can't do much better than that. Kyle Connor, 26 points, or 28 points, 26 games. Blake Wheeler's back up there at that point per game level himself. But... Led in scoring by a defenseman. And again, this is a dude that nobody is talking about. Josh Morrissey. Yep. Josh Morrissey. 5, 25, 30, plus 11, 21 PIMS. Three game winning goals, two of them in overtime, 11.9 shooting percentage. And you 
wouldn't even know he exists in the league if you're anywhere outside of uh, outside of Manitoba. And he's leading the Winnipeg Jets in scoring. That, to me, says they probably need to make a move before the deadline to pick up a little more offense. Um, but, hey, this is what they signed Morris so, for, to be that. So you're not, in, you're not impressed by their balanced scoring? Dubois, 28 points. Kyle Connor, 28 points. Blake Wheeler, 25 points. Shipley, 23 points. I'm not – I'm pretty certain that no team being led in scoring at the start of the playoffs by a defenseman has ever won, has won the Cup in my lifetime. I don't think this is the time that it changes. Fair enough. I'm not going to – I'm not going to disagree with that. I just I, – I, I like – I like the balanced scoring. The fact that – Oh, the balance is good. I mean, the fact that – the fact that Josh Morrissey is two points ahead of that is, is two points ahead of the highest scoring forward. I don't know that that's if he was ten points ahead, I'm or or so or, or fifty, I might be more concerned. The fact that he's within shouting distance, he's he's only a point or two ahead. It's not like a really good scoring night for Kyle Connor wouldn't lift him past Morrissey. He's not he's not head and shoulders scoring more than the rest of the team. So I'm not utterly, I'm not terribly concerned by it yet. Yes. If he extends that gap, I might be, if at the trade deadline, he's suddenly 12 points ahead of Connor or, or Dubois, then I might say, you know what? You got to bring in another offensive minded player. You know, you got to bring in another forward something to, to add because you can't rely on on Morrissey to get all your points. The fact that he's only two points ahead, not the biggest concern for me right now. I mean, current projections are that they'll have almost 11 million in cap space at the uh, deadline. 11 million. Um, they do have uh, Ehlers on uh, injured reserve and Mason Appleton on injured reserve. I haven't had a chance to check on those two and see when they'll be back. But if that, if that deepens the scoring for them, maybe that's enough. Um, We know Ehlers is certainly capable. Uh, He's got, you know, multiple 25 plus uh, goal seasons. Um, and you've got uh, Mason Appleton, more of a complimentary piece, but, uh, you know, if Ehlers comes back and he's a valuable contributor, maybe that's all you need. But he's only played two games this season, uh, which means if it takes him even another month to get back, you're actually starting to look at it taking – uh, that'll be two, three months out, uh, two or three months off the ice. Mm-hmm. Going to be a minimum of two months for him to get back to like normal form. No, I was going to say there might be a little bit of um, <clears throat> rust there. Um, so it's it's entirely possible the solution, or at least the addition that they want, is 
on the trainer's table. But given all of the negativity about this team over the last two years, everything from <laughs> they have a poisonous locker room to oh, well, why did why did Paul Maurice leave again? He was, I mean, aside from going to Florida, well, better up or better weather. Um, yes, but wasn't there was his leaving the locker room? Yeah, exactly. His leaving, they didn't really. It was sort of murky and cloudy. They did, he never really gave any reasons why. He just kind of said, "I'm done." <laughs> um, and you know what? Sometimes yeah. I've worked places where the team didn't necessarily work well together, and you bring in a different manager, and things change. Not yeah. saying it can make a perfect team out of a collection of very much nothing. I mean, do but we have this? Isn't a collection of very much nothing. They're a talented roster. Do we have to now start believing in Rick Bonus? Um, give me two. Give me have him win two rounds in the playoffs, and then we'll talk. I was gonna say his time in Dallas was. Yeah. Roller coaster? Yeah. Because didn't they did they not like go into the playoffs uh, semi deep? I don't know. Uh, and then I have to go back and look. Have, but, I mean, I, I just don't know. Is Rick Bonus for real? I mean, when he was a first time coach around and he was up here in Boston, we weren't yeah. fabulous. So from the great cancerous locker room to yes. A man we were told was a pure locker room cancer uh, for like two years before he came to Boston. Locker room cancer. This is oh, this is the one I'm curious about. Okay. Taylor Hall. I looked on various message boards, uh, looked at a couple of different Reddit subs, and every everywhere at least one person, or maybe it was the same person talking about him under like three sock puppet accounts. Um, Taylor Hall was an awful person, blah, 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 blah. And then he comes to Boston. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting for this stuff to start coming out. They interviewed him the other night. I saw this, yeah. He starts talking about how great it is to play with uh, Trent Frederick. He's a great young player, always has a positive attitude. My favorite. You can root for him whether you're playing with him or not. Um, I I think that in a lot of ways that Taylor Hall and Robin Leonard and guys like even guys like like Marty St. Louis or uh, Patrice Bergeron make people who are just coasting really uncomfortable. And then they talk a whole lot of <clears throat> sewage about them and it gets out and it gets received in the, in the way that it was intended, but is still utterly false. Yeah. Because locker room cancers don't go around making convincing interviews like this. Taylor Hall's been here two years now. 
we've seen him interviewed in a variety of moods, good games, bad games, winning streaks, utterly embarrassing losses. The only, the only thing that the only thing that weirds me out about him is that win or lose, he always looks like he's just he he. he, he I don't get the impression he's having fun out there. I think that's the only thing that really bothers me about him more than anything else. He doesn't, I mean, every now and again, he cracks the smile, but he's, I know he's, I know he's having, I know he's having fun, but I want to, I just want to see it. (laughs) He's just like, he's not, he's not that outgoing a a person. I guarantee you when he's, I mean, when do you actually ever hear of him in the off season? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Like he walks out of the arena for the last time at the after breakup and he might as well step into a pocket dimension until the start of the next training camp. I mean, my favorite part about that whole interview was the fact that he guided it to, and I know that Sophia was guiding him with the questions, but the fact that she was trying to get him to talk a little about himself and he kept talking about playing on a line with Charlie and how he got to play a little bit with him and the fact that they've developed the chemistry and the communication. And then he went on about Trent and, you know, young player and how he's, his game is developing and he's coming around and we're starting to see, he just, I understand he doesn't want to talk about himself and, but when and, and that's a good thing. Himself, that was even more critical to me. He took ownership for him and Coyle not being better last year, despite the fact that Coyle was, we know, not healthy. Right. Um, And that's, there are other players in the league and certain, including certain players who spent a a decade as the face of the league, the guy that everyone talked about all the time, who Mm -hmm. when they talk, I've never been convinced that they're meaning the things that they say. When they say all the right things, he's much more convincing. Yes. Do I expect all of the people who have been calling him a locker room cancer to suddenly uh, to suddenly change their tune and yeah. have them be have him be their favorite player? Not really. Do I care in general? Not really. But I loved watching this interview. And it's the type of thing, just the whole thing with the, you know, I don't have to worry about my, I don't have to worry about my own, my own stat or whatever the quote was. I don't have to worry about my own. My I don't own. have to worry about my own numbers when the team is succeeding is the gist of it. Yeah. I'm sorry. A locker room cancer doesn't say that he doesn't have to worry about his own numbers ever. <laughs> um, I, I just I don't I I don't but but the thing is and I just want to tie a bow on it I don't ever remember where the I don't know how, where the locker room cancer thing came from because I don't ever remember him making any kind of statements that he's worried about his numbers or that he's worried about the a lot of it did I don't know where the reputation comes from a lot of it came out of Edmonton where they were unhappy because you know they drafted eighty five. Uh, oh, times you, in the first six and oh, didn't win a cup. Well, uh, when you don't draft defensemen and you have no goaltending, uh, hello. You, you're using those, those L and R things. And, uh, oh, I got to stop doing that. You should be ashamed. I am. 
Um, speaking of illogical things uh, that I still love. Okay. We were talking about the New Jersey Devils and them perhaps being a little bit ahead of the curve. Yeah. Jack Hughes kind of blew the bell curve out of the water the other night. 6.02. I, I was going to say, I, I actually missed this, but... six. Minutes, two second shift to end the game. I I have not seen anything that utterly bonkers ridiculous since Sergey Samsonov. Uh, I, uh, my favorite, my favorite time under was that was that was a Pat Burns thing, wasn't it? I believe it was a Pat Burns thing I for those of was. who weren't uh, watching hockey at the time. Sergey Samsonov was drafted. The same year as Joe Thornton um, by the Boston Bruins, they had the first and seventh picks. Sergei Samsonov was one of those small, shifty players who could legitimately stick handle in a phone booth. Um, If you don't know what those are, uh, pick the small closet at the end of your hallway. Um, It was about that size. And managed to to retain possession of the puck. (laughs) He he puck handled like Datsuk before Datsuk was in the league, I believe. Yes. Um, and like, but not built like uh, Fireplug. Johnny Hockey. He looked. He was built. Like, yes. if he spent like three hours more in the gym, he could have entered like three hours more a week in the gym. He probably could have entered most professional bodybuilding competitions and won a good number of them. That sort of built. Um. And he got stuck on 29 goals one season, and they put a decent amount of effort into getting him to 30 that year. The second year, he hits the 29-goal mark. I don't know that he left the ice for a two-minute stretch at any time in the entire third period. And it got to be a joke where they would push him away from... They literally just pushed him and sent him back out. He didn't even get to come over the boards. They just said, no, 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 you stay out. He'd try and come in the gate, and they'd just push him back out. Uh, He'd try and step over, and they'd just point, and the whole bench is laughing. Like, certain things happen in hockey games, and you get the guys who are most prone to humor laughing. When you have an entire NHL roster laughing at one of their teammates, it's a special thing. Yeah, that that was a that was a fun night. I yeah, and he spent most of that third period on the ice, and unfortunately didn't get to thirty, and never got the hat trick. Never got to thirty. Yeah, that was uh, Jack Hughes. In an attempt to come back, it's something that the Devils haven't had much practice at this year. Jack Hughes spent six minutes and two seconds in a row. Playing NHL hockey. I'm pretty sure he was tired. I, I'm guessing he was tired, and he played over 13 minutes in one period. Yes, 13 minutes is. Uh, you, re- you realize there are some fourth liners that don't actually play 13 minutes in a game. There are some fourth liners who don't play six minutes in a game, much less <laughs> all at once. <laughs> <coughs> Like, this is the longest recorded shift in NHL history 
And I think it's a partial answer to a question I've been asking myself for five years. Um, when Chara started to decline, when Weber started to decline, when P.K. Subban was not putting up as many points, after John Carlson finally, finally, finally was awarded the Norris Trophy that he so much deserved, yeah. um, as Drew Doughty's skills started to retreat a little bit, Duncan Keith was definitely in the final years of his career. Um, and even even though Victor Hedman was still at his peak, um, and this is, of course, before Kale McCarr and before um, before some of the other youngsters who have come into the league in the last two or three years, I asked, who are the next great defensemen? Like, where is the next generation of players who are going to inspire got, uh, boys and girls to put on the hockey st- ho- hockey pants, put on the skates, and go stand there and step in front of pucks so that their goalie doesn't have to. Well, we found one. <laughs> yeah, we found one. Uh, I know, and, and and I know they say don't read comments, but this article came from Sports Network. And just one of the just one of the comments very briefly states <clears throat> should be fresh as a daisy for the playoffs. Yeah, I saw that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's 21. I don't want to downplay he's young, but it's still he's playing hockey at a high level. When you look at his overall minutes, though, he's actually averaging probably around 23, 24 minutes a night. So hitting 26, even with that sort of. Even with the sort of oxygen debt that you're Excuse me. giving your body uh, in a game like that or in a shift like that, it's not – I don't think it's going to be a terrible thing. Are they going to actually take him off the ice and rest him, you know, the final two games of the season? Most I likely. Depends on where they are in the standings, but most likely, yes. He will probably not play the last one or two games. I I mean, for me, I'd rather have him go out and play 14 minutes those last two games um, so he stays loose and warm okay. and head in the game. Yeah, I can see that's that. That's me. Um, it's not usually the way. I mean, you look back on, on any of the team. I mean, and how many of them call up three or four AHL players for the last game or two of the season? Most likely he won't. I can see keeping him, some you know, skating somewhat. He's 21 years old. He won't even turn 22 until the middle of the second round or even later, uh, May 14th. I think with normal rest and hydration, his body's not even going to remember this game. No, but it, it has been documented for... Posterior. Uh, posterity, yeah. Posterity, thank you. I'm, I knew there was a word I was looking for. It has been documented, and I I mean, six minutes, that's crazy stuff. I know that guys get stuck out there, and they or, or there are some who insist on playing a full two-minute penalty kill, such as a, a, a Drew oh, Doughty or, or a, yes. you know, that, and they, and they, they, masochistically play 27 minutes a night and but okay I mean to stay out there for a six minute shift yeah 
Now, I didn't see the entire six-minute shift. I'm not imagining that he spent most of it just kind of gliding around the ice. You know, just kind of taking it all in. No, I'm pretty sure he was going at a decent clip for most of it. <laughs> uh, so let's see. Kale McCarr is averaging the most time on ice uh, per game at just under 27 minutes. Not which I'm sure is a huge shock to everyone. Oh, yeah. Um, Drew Doughty right up there at 2620. Thomas yes, Shabbat, 2607. Rasmus Dahlin, 2553. Um, Quinn Hughes uh, is actually at 2458. Mm-hmm. Seth Jones, 2445. Wow. Um, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes, Jack Hughes is somewhere on this list. By the way, Kel McCarr is what? Early twenties, twenty two, twenty one, twenty three, somewhere. Somewhere, there. I think he's. I think he's actually twenty five at this point. It just doesn't feel that way. And Drew Doughty is thirty. Drew Doughty is only thirty. He's yeah. been in the league since the dawn of time, apparently. Yet, yet another one of those players that you go, that's it. <laughs> I mean, at thirty, you legitimately have when you keep yourself in the shape that he does. You legitimately have another 10 years in the league. Just ask Patrice. Um, I would love for Patrice to come back. uh, As much as I love, but as much as I love Patrice, he doesn't play the number of minutes per night that Drew does. He also hasn't been injured as much as Drew has. I know that they both share and, and not share, but they both have injury histories, but I and don't know. That, go messing things up again because uh-oh. Jack is a center. It's Quinn. That's the defenseman. Yes. I thought you knew that. I just said that Quinn was, uh, that Jack was a defenseman because apparently I'm an airhead today. No, uh, that'd be the third brother at Michigan. Luke, he's a defenseman. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, okay. And there's a not, there's actually a second Jack Hughes in the league. He belongs to Los Angeles, and I think he's played a few games. Oh, okay. Not part um, of the family, yeah. which is further confusion for me. But twenty six six minutes at a time as a forward is yeah even scarier. Yeah, that's just not something. Not something that's done. But, but looking looking impressive. at that team as a whole, the Devils I have to like them. I mean, yeah, ha- they have some players that I like. A, there's a fun collection of of talent here. You've got John Marino, uh, used to be uh, used to be on the Penguins. Penguins. Yeah, you've got Nico Heischer, who is finally coming into his own. Um, Jack Hughes, Ryan Graves, you've got Andre Palat, Jesper Bratt, Eric Holla, um, Yuri Bigger, Tatar fan than I am. Um, even even still, yeah, I mean, he was he's supposed to be better than he, I, I know that he's another one that he, I think he finally accepted that he is what he is and, and now he's good at it. Not fabulous, just good. 
they do have a good listing I mean, looking at the roster, they do actually have quite a bit of fun, fun, and interesting players that I like. I think Palat was the biggest signing for them in the offseason. Oh, absolutely. Just from a a standpoint of not even what he's going to bring on the ice, but what he's going to do in that locker room. I'm sorry, multiple Stanley Cups, three times to the three times to the final. And absolutely um, a Swiss Army knife. Yeah, he always has been. Um, Those and penalties. that means that as young players develop and take over niche roles, he can continue to be useful to the roster. And that's a really valuable thing for the general manager to have added to the locker room because it means that Hughes and Bratt and the rest of their younger players are going to have that guy for a couple of years and, and be able to sponge up some of the, some of the knowledge and wisdom and routines that he puts uh, himself through to stay in game shape, not just day to day, but as he ages and as he goes through life, 21, um, 23, 24, 24, 24, 20 for Holtz, 21, Dawson Mercer. Um, a lot of these kids have not been in any kind of extensive playoff run. Ever, yeah. Andre yeah. Palat is going to be huge when they get to the playoffs. Absolutely. Like this, this April, uh, this March, Every youngster in that locker room should be doting on his every word and every change in how he does things. Yes. Um, and by that time, the Edmonton Oilers will have uh, hopefully had their uh, favorite reinforcement of the last couple of years back on the ice and healthy. Uh, I so miss him. Um, as uh as many people have heard, um, and probably a few, quite a few haven't, Evander Kane is back on the ice and skating. Uh, was not shooting uh, when I uh, as of the as of a couple of days back. But well, well the video that we pulled was, uh, that was tweeted out by Evander, or by yeah. the Oilers, excuse me. The the video that was tweeted out, he is stick handling, but what he's able to do with that wrist, it, yeah, they didn't show any shooting, but still limited. But the fact that the fact that he's able to at least manipulate the puck and and stick handle a bit is very good sign, and it's great to see him back on the ice. Oh, it, like I said, limited contact uh, or limited impact on the wrist um, versus his attempts at shots, and yeah, those are assertive. And he he begins our anti-injury report Um, (laughs) uh, because on the uh, on the East Coast, um, the Washington Capitals are about to have some reinforcements back. Uh, Dmitry Orlov skating teammates, Nicholas Backstrom back skating uh, teammates and many, many people's favorite Washington Capitol. Tom Wilson oh, is Jesus. indeed Meathead. skating with the Capitals. Um, meathead. Sorry, he's a meathead. A man yeah. with, I'm sorry, but a, no, I need to stop. Because a man with that kind of talent, just meathead. 
it's evident the talent that he has, and yet he still just can't get it straight. If he just stops with the 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 crap and plays hockey, he'd be talked about in the same vein as the upper echelon of, of players in the league. At least that's my opinion. He, he may not be the number one goal scorer or what, or, or number one point getter, but he'd be talked about in a more positive light. He'd be talked about for his on ice accomplishments instead of constantly being talked about for being a meathead. Yeah. But yes, I'm glad. I'm, I'm still glad he's back. I don't wish anybody to be out for long periods of time with injuries. Um, but this is the first time he's managed to get, uh, into practice, um, since his ACL surgery last spring, uh, capture as of, uh, the ninth, 12, 12 and four, uh, for Wilson though, this is, this has to be regarded as a setback in the application of those skills because last year was his best goal scoring um, best goal scoring campaign at 24 goals. Um, as you said, Tom Wilson probably can put up 30 goals in the NHL. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, we're in a period where goaltending overall is not as good as it was, say, six or seven years ago. Not as good as it was. I don't think overall it is. I think the best goaltenders are probably still as good. Oh, okay. I don't think that, like, from the eighth best goaltender to the 30th best starter, I don't think it's as good as it was seven or eight years ago. I really don't. Um, Interesting. Okay. uh, I think that there's a lot of athletic goaltenders who make it look good, but if you look at the amount of scoring going on in the league this year – Tough, really, really tough, really, really, really tough to say that. Um, I mean, I think is up. I mean, as far as the goal scoring, yes, I have to agree. I mean, the Bruins through the first twenty games of the season were averaging four goals per game. More, yeah, uh, or twenty some odd. I don't know if they still are, but they do still score at a high clip. So. Yeah, I can I can believe that. I just uh, I don't know I don't know how much better they were seven or eight years ago. And it, that's going to take a little digging. But to okay. have yes, Tom Wilson I think could definitely be a, somewhere between thirty and I think he'd be like low to mid thirties, like thirty three, thirty five, thirty six. Could he hit forty? I don't mm. think so. No? I it, mean, his talent... His shot is solid, but he doesn't have one of those shots that you can watch it happen and never see it happen. Like, Ovechkin has one of those shots where you can watch it happen, and you still don't know when the puck came off his off his stick. Yes. Evander, uh, Kane, uh, Evander Kane is pretty close to that category. Pasta. Um, Patrick Kane, absolutely. And Patrick Kane's more of a distributor. Um, That's true. Uh, you look at uh, at um, McDavid and even Austin Matthews. They also all all of those guys also have a signature shot, and you can throw Brad Marchand and 
and uh, David Pasternak in there. They have that signature shot. For yes. for um, Brad Marchand, it's that back foot snapshot. It's brutal when he when he gets it off because you don't even see the. Sometimes the stick isn't even a full two feet forward of his body before the puck is in the net. Um, and Pasternak's one timers when he hits them. He's it, it's Ovechkin like. It, it's the same category. Like it's it, it's the literally puck, the same office. It's you're I mean, you're not sure the puck has gotten to them yet before the puck is in the net. Um, it's literally it, it's he's literally in the that. same office on the same side of the ice. <laughs> and for that matter, you you know, you can put Stamkos up there, too. And he's Stamkos has got that wicked little backhander that yeah. uh, uh, just doesn't get talked about enough. Um, yeah. I don't I don't see that sort of signature shot from Tom Wilson. Okay, fair enough. I you're right, I don't either, but I mean the skill level that he the skill level that when he's not being a meathead, the skill level he shows, clearly he's better than Patrick Maroon. What he should well, yes, obviously, but clearly he's better than what he's showing us on the ice. And I just think that that's I don't know. Maybe he'll have a, a Brad Marchand moment, and he'll suddenly realize I can do better without the meatheadedness. And he doesn't even like. And we're not talking about removing all the physicality from his play, or even no, Marchand's still physical. And he doesn't even have to stop agitating people. He just has to stop trying to decapitate them, or you know, cause massive roster turnover by putting a third of the other team on the injured reserve every week. Um, six is, seems to be an important number this week. Um, Tage really? Thompson. Oh, goodness, yes. We know how much you love Tage Thompson. And yet I still don't talk about him as much as you do, Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Tage Thompson had his second six-point game of the season. His second six-point game of the season. The first one was three goals and three assists uh, a couple of uh, a couple of months back. The other night, four goals in the first period. Oh, hum. Fifth goal, then an assist. Oh, if you were playing in a major market... The NHL could probably raise the salary cap just off of his jersey sales alone. Oh, here, let me bring it down to earth. Mitch, uh, um, Austin Matthews scored four goals. And I don't know if he did it in a period, though. Austin Matthews is is was, wonderfully talented, and we're going to talk about him in a second. Yeah, I know we are. I, I, my foreshadowing or whatever was just a little too early. I'm sorry. My timing is off. Um, but I, I, I do, I do very much enjoy watching Cage Thompson. I did not have the affection for him that you have right, that you had right from the start, but it, he's growing on me by leaps and bounds. I mean, you watch this kid, he's six, six, and you would think by looking at him that he'd be some, you know, gangly arms and legs everywhere because of his size. He's not. He's fluid. He's graceful. He can he can stick handle. He's got good hands. He's got he's got all the tools. 
And he's still physically solid. Like, he can still play physical. Is he throwing crushing hits all the time? No. Doesn't need to. Doesn't need to. Um, We were talking about goals for, and this is an important uh, tie-in. Boston, as as you hinted at, is right around that four goals per game mark at 3.92. Okay, they're still there, yeah. Off the top of your head, can you guess the next three teams? Uh, Devils. That's one of them. Um, I'm going to say Buffalo only because, A, we're talking about Tage, and, B, I think that they can score goals. I think their problem is stopping the other team. Good boy. And the third team would be. This oh, is all NHL or East. Uh, it's all NHL, but the thir- the other team is in the Western Conference. That's what I thought. Okay. Um, and we have talked about specific players on that team. Uh, no, I was this season. I, I was gonna go. I was gonna go Winnipeg, but I don't know if that's right. It would definitely not be Winnipeg. Okay. Winnipeg is down in 11th at 3.35 per game. One more guess. Western Conference team. No, it wouldn't be them. Can't be them. Definitely not them. Uh, Seattle Kraken. (laughs) Nope. Seattle is actually eighth at three and a half per game. Okay. So who is the other Western Conference team? The Dallas Stars. Oh, I forgot. I skipped right over them. I was going I was going east to west, and I thought, not St. Louis, not this team, not Arizona. No, no, no. Oh, and I completely Boston. skipped over Dallas. Damn. So it's Boston at 3.92, Buffalo at 3.86, Dallas at 3.75, New Jersey Devils at 3.70. And you'd think, I'd, you'd think with Jason – you'd think I'd remember, you know, with Jason Robertson and, and Rope yep. Hints and, and – Joe Pavelski, you think I would have got that one? Damn. But unfortunately, they also allow very nearly as many goals at 3.68 per game, which I don't see more than one or two teams worse off than Vancouver being one of those teams at 3.86. While you could have a really sloppy fest uh, series putting those two teams against each other. (laughs) Like, Wow. And then there's Anaheim. <coughs> Anaheim, excuse me. Anaheim is allowing 4.21 goals per game. Oh, allowing. Okay, yes. No. They have, They are the only team. Actually, there's two. The Columbus Blue Jackets, who just lost Wierenski for the season, are the only other team allowing more than three goals per game. Wait, wait, wait. Or four you goals kinda, per game. You glossed over that. Wierenski's out for the season. Um, I do believe I saw something that said uh, Zach Wierenski was out for the season. Uh, it may – what website did I have open a minute and a half ago? Um, oh, was that was that was the, um, the anti-injury report. I did see something on the side. You're right. On the, yeah. on the sidebar, it says Zach Wierenski out rest of season. Wow, I missed that. I did too. Um, but successful shoulder surgery, um, complete recovery to him, 
and maybe this gives us a new uh, a new front runner uh, for the first overall draft pick because uh, I just can't imagine uh, I just can't imagine the Blue Jackets doing anything without Wierenski, uh anything at all, and they weren't doing much to begin with. Um, well, yes, they are third from the bottom. I was uh, say in the now. race. In the in the race for Connor Bedard, where are they? They are third from the bottom. They have twenty points. Chicago has eighteen, um, and Anaheim seventeen. Anaheim seventeen. Um, I think that Chicago might try and rescind the uh, the Jones trade, um, just to make sure that you know uh, Columbus stays ahead of them. <laughs> I think they'll have any luck with that one. Rescind. The Seth Jones trade. Yeah, I mean it's only been like four years. But then you're sending, but reason. then you're sending him back to Columbus. Yeah. Which. So, so oh yes, Columbus is ahead. Okay, yeah, I did. Okay, yeah. yeah. See, I don't know that. I don't know that Kika Linen accepts those. Accepts that they're gonna have to. I'm pretty sure that the league would laugh hysterically if if the. Uh, if the Blue Jackets, I mean, if the Blackhawks called up and said, you know, that Seth Jones trade where we traded or where he was traded to us with uh, Nolan Allen, who I've never seen since. Nope. Um, Dominic James, who was drafted this year. Um, in exchange for Adam Boquist, Cole Sillinger, Alexi Heimsalami. And David Jirasek. Yeah, we, we want to undo it. I mean, sure, it was July of 2021. Uh, so <laughs> we're just going to undo it. You don't mind, right? And Kiko Linen uh, through a, a fit of laughter. The league office would say, you know, we drug test, right? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, that not, kind of- it's not just players. General managers get drug tested too. <laughs> so is this a conference call or is this just Chicago calling the league offices? Because if Chicago's calling Columbus at the same time, Kika Linen right now is laying on the floor in stitches. Um, then he's trying to then he's trying to convince them. Well, if you want to make that deal, you're going to have to take. I don't know, Jack Roslovic or something, because we know what you're trying, what you're attempting to do, and it's not going to work. <laughs> Connor Bedard is too important to us. <laughs> uh, and the thought of adding Connor Bedard to the, that forward group right now in in uh, Columbus is actually pretty interesting. And in the meantime. <clears throat> Anaheim is sitting out there going, hey, wait, wait, I smell collusion going on. What is this? <laughs> wow. Anaheim would take him and immediately assign him to San Diego. <laughs> we could, we, Pat Verbeek's out there going, I smell collusion. You two are trying to steal Connor away from us. We want in on this. We could start a whole reality series on this. <laughs> Uh, actually, a celebrity death match of uh, at the GM meetings, MTV's old show. That would be fantastic. 
Pat Verbeek. I think Pat Verbeek's younger than Kika Linen and uh, wait, no, I don't. I don't know who the GM is in Chicago because it's not that. It's not. Um, he might be young too. Pat Verbeek's not exactly, you know. Kyle old. Davidson. Okay, Kyle Davidson. I don't know much about Kyle Davidson. Okay. He is 34 years old. Um, He's 34. He Ooh. would be significantly younger. So than he Kyle could he could probably take Verbeek and Kikalainen. Okay. So if you're going to throw him in some kind of celebrity grudge match or death match or something like that, that would be intriguing. Oh, it, <laughs> it's not like we ever get off, on, off track on this show, but... Never, never, we don't. I think we're possibly more off track than usual. Celebrity death matches and GMs being drug tested? Not at all. <laughs> we're right where we need to be. Yes. Where uh, are we? Pat where we need to is be? fifty-eight, so not not <laughs> ridiculously aged, but uh, no, but significantly older than thirty-four. Somewhat uh, past his prime. I'm thinking Kyle Dave. Kyle Davidson's got the leg up here. Oh, yeah. And Yarmo Kikalainen. Oh, Yarmo Kikalainen is actually only 56, too. So that could be interesting. Tag team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're talking alliances. I mean, we may as well just have a whole show on Survivor or something. We got alliances and people going this way and that way. Uh, at some point, we need to get back on track, I think. Anaheim's 50, minus 50 in goal differential. Minus 50. In just 28 games. So they're losing every game by almost two goals. Yeah. They've okay, allowed that's... 120 goals. <laughs> 120. San Jose has allowed 110. In 30 games. Vancouver has allowed 109. In 28 games. Um... <laughs> And that's pretty much it for the 100 club. I mean, no, LA's allowed 106. 106. <laughs> but LA's actually kind of in a playoff spot. They are in the second wild card spot. They are. Yeah. So they're doing something right. St. Louis uh, is in a playoff spot and they've allowed 105. Thank you, Jordan Bennington. No, St. Louis is not in the playoff spot. Oh, no, you're right. They're not. I'm sorry. They're in the sixth wild card spot, as in the. Oh, I'm in. I'm not on the wild card tab. That's my problem. Sweet child. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Um, a little too much fun with the the drug testing GMs. <laughs> St. Um, Louis, 105. I mean, that's just wow. Wow. Let's Let's talk Bruins prospects really quickly. We haven't done that in months and months and months. No. Um, so we've heard a lot, a lot, a lot about Brett Harrison, positive and negative since he was drafted. Uh-huh. Uh, his father is pretty active on social media, following just about everyone who mentions his son's name. Kind of awesome to have that support and not be the parent who's in the locker room or who makes it onto the ice for the Stanley Cup final before the general manager of a team. Um, but he got his first, uh, Brent Harrison got his first uh, career hat trick the other night. You know, um, I know that people say this, but honestly, if you get a hat trick, I don't care what level it's at. 
whether it's the juniors or AHL, NHL, Patrick is not an easy thing to pull off. It's not. Uh, and he did it in his hometown, playing against the London Knights, one of the premier junior hockey uh, teams. Yeah. Who are on an eight-game winning streak? So it's not like he—it's not like he did it against a bottom feeder or a, a team that's you know four goalies deep that night. He did it. It's a legit. It's a legit win for him. Um, and this is a uh, this is big because the Bruins are not deep at center outside of the NHL. And if he can come in and be Charlie Coyle's understudy, yeah, that's a big thing. Which if is he can be because they're always drafting centers. Yes, they need to stop. <laughs> but if he could come in and be a second line center two years from now, like a legit second or third, yeah, second line center. That's huge. Um, I mean, that is what we said about Stanika all those years before they I, moved on from him. I really, really am in, going to be interested to see what happens with Stanika's career from here because I think that he was still trying. I think he was making efforts. I think that in a lot of ways his confidence might have been kind of damaged. I mean – and I don't want to turn this around and put it on Stodnika, but I think that they, uh, very briefly, I think that they moved him to a place where the press is not going to eat him alive. He's going to have a chance to play in Vancouver. Yeah. And I and and there won't be nearly as much stress. Granted, yes, the team itself is stressful because there's more expectations, but it's not the media market that is a Boston LA uh, original six team, uh, you know, but he's also, we, he's also doing his playing his best hockey there already. That's um, what I'm saying. He, he, he played 38 games here uh, in the NHL. And that was one of the problems. He was not getting consistent play ever. Um, true. He only had one goal in that time. Uh, and five assists um, in 11 games in Vancouver. He's got two goals and the assists already and one assist already. Um, and he's even uh, on plus minus on a team where that puts him well above the team average. Fair enough. Um, so, and I think that for Studnika, another part of, Another, he's in one of those million centers that they've drafted in the last decade or so. Yeah. Having Bergeron's contract come, uh, Bergeron be resigned, and then have Krejci come back to the league after a year away. That I think that's as damaging to him and his hope uh, of securing a position or at least getting a a real 10-15 game tryout at the number two, number three spot, as it was to Swayman and Olmark for uh, Rask to come back. And let's face it. That was a huge deal, by the way. What? 
Yeah, I said that was a huge deal too, by the way, that whole RAS situation, but I won't yeah. I won't dive into that. Bergeron and Krejci are a whole lot healthier than Tukarasko. Yes. Um so I I mean I still like Jack Sednika. He's only twenty three years old. He doesn't turn twenty four until the middle of February. Do I think he's going to turn into a number one center and be the next Tage Thompson? Probably not. Do I think that he can be a a viable Chris Kelly? Yeah, I, I think that he's. I think he can. I think he can attain that level and not have to. I think just being away from the pressure of expectations is going to do him wonders. So. And consistency. Like, he's played 11 games since he was moved out west. Yep. That That's either all of them or most of them. And it's already paying dividends. As far as Brett Harrison goes, the one thing that I do, the, my, my favorite thing about this whole Brett Harrison deal, not that he just got the hat trick, not that he's a Bruins pro, the way he did it. First goal, shot from the slot. Second goal, rocket of a one-timer. Third time, puck control, dangling, sliding one into the empty net. Okay, yes, it was an empty net, but he still had to dangle and move. And, and, and so it, they, weren't, they weren't all just one-timers from the, from the, from the face-off dot. I mean, no butt goals. Yeah, no butt goals. That's true. The thing about being out there on an empty net or with the empty net, your coach still has to trust you to not – cost the team well yeah yeah, you're out there for a reason it's not just well he's out there to to get that no you you still have to defend and you're defending against six forwards who are trying to score a game tying goal yeah and he he got it done like that's a big thing decent size six foot three i didn't realize i i knew he was big i didn't realize he was six three um next up is uh lasalle uh, Fabian LaSalle, who seems to be the uh, the fan favorite of all of the prospects right now, uh, for fairly good reasons. Um, oh, yeah, he's a lot of fun to watch. Um, is going to be at the World Juniors, which start the day after Christmas. So December 26th, Fabian LaSalle, Sweden, will open up against Austria. Um... He's 19 years old. Yep. Providence Bruins uh, this year for anyone in the area who wants to get to a game. Five goals, nine assists in 17 games. Four, almost point, 14 and 17. Not bad. Yep. Um, considering considering he has not been playing in North America for very long. No, not at all. Um the one that surprises me the most that people are still talking about his upside, potential upside, mm-hmm. is someone I thought could have played in the played a bottom six role comfortably two years ago, and that's Curtis Hall. Um, he's in the ECHL right now. Um, wow, playing for the Maine Mariners. And they're still talking about his speed, which is always good because it means that he can eventually climb back up. Uh, but his coach, uh, head coach of the Mariners, Terrence Wallen, um, 
You can't teach six foot four, two hundred and twenty pounds. He's a smooth skating six foot four, two hundred and twenty. He's long, he's physical, and he's what I consider a play driver. He needs to find that hard play style to go with it. Um, so if he can channel his inner Brad Marchand, his inner Kyle McLaren, his inner uh, pick another hard note, pick a hard nosed forward. Um, Alexander Galchenyuk. Yes, exactly the man I was thinking. Of. You said hard nosed. I mean, when you trade for him because you want to get tougher. That's <laughs> hey. It, we've learned a lot from watching the Pittsburgh franchise. And someday, someday I will let Pittsburgh off the hook, but that day is not today. Someday. <laughs> um. Wow. But exactly. I I like the fact that we're still that this isn't seen as the death knell for his career. Um, I going down to the ECHL. Yes. As long as he keeps himself from turning into – I mean, the one game we went to, as long as he keeps himself from turning into the the meatheads that are just there for bloodlust and he actually is there to improve his game and get back up to Providence and and beyond, yeah, I, I think – I don't think that going to Maine is, is a huge deal. It, it sucks in the now. But if he's getting more playing time and he's playing closer to the top of the roster – um, then he wouldn't in Providence. I'm 100% for it. Which is why I wanted Lysel to stay in Providence because I didn't want him to spend his first year sitting in the ninth level. Um, and when you look at the Bruins, like fourth line and some of their, you've got Thomas Nosek who is who is playing center on that line. Yep. He's, he's 30 years old. He's a UFA this uh, this summer. Is he going to be re-signed? I don't know. Some of it depends on Sweeney. Craig Smith, he's playing on the fourth line. He's 33 years old. He's not coming back. He, there's there's no way he's coming back above league minimum. Not unless he suddenly breaks out of his two-year-long slump and turns into a viable NHL player again. Nick Foligno, 35 years old, $3.8 million. Can you say he's resurgence? Had- <laughs> can like, you say wait can you say healthy can you <laughs> healthy renaissance resurgence um uh, in this case yes we can call it a comeback um, the, goalie, the goalie scored against arizona wow didn't know he had that goals. shot in him <laughs> Eight, last year in 64 games, he was 2 11 and 13 and a minus 7 uh, minus 13 on the Boston Bruins mm-hmm. this year in 26 games. So yes, he's played every game five, nine and 14 in 26 games and a plus seven. So he's more than doubled his goal production from last year, nearly equaled his assist production in a third as many games. He's still not going to get a contract at the level he's being paid. Oh, right no, 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 no. Yeah, no, I would not bring him back at that kind of money. If he if he wants to come back at a significant discount, he's, def- he's definitely giving me next year. OK, I can live with that. 
He's definitely given me some. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's definitely given me something to consider now that I'm seeing him healthy and seeing what he is capable of. As far as I mean, yeah, last last year is last year was wretched. If he could find some way to leave that off his resume, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, but 14 points in 26 games this year, and a plus seven, and 24 penalty minutes. Yes. Um, yeah. Now, going back to Curtis Hall, um, Kirk Ludecky. Um, we, lo- we love Kirk. He's such a good guy. Kirk is a great guy. If you ever get the chance to talk hockey with him, you are in for a treat. Um, oh, yeah. my, my, one of my favorite things about him, aside from the pure knowledge and the willingness to say, I don't know is he doesn't BS anything. He's a straight shooter. Um, but before the 2018 draft, uh, Kirk Ludecky had Hall listed as a very good skater who shows off impressive burst and agility for his side and has a powerful fluid stride that allows him to separate and open ice. Uh, but he can also make quick turns and cuts to adjust his angles and instantly change routes. His shot is a strength with a with a sneaky release. I've seen that in camp. I just yep. want him to be consistent and be able to make it into the NHL. I don't think that Curtis Hall is ever going to be a 85-point player in the NHL. No. But if he can come into the NHL and be a 40-point player, 45-point player, he's going to stick in the NHL until he can't skate anymore. Because again, six foot four, two twenty, can skate. That's very nearly enough to get you to the NHL all by itself. Well, six foot six, can skate, score goals. You know that guy Thompson you like so much. Oh, him, yeah. Yeah. So. Well, Thompson was a second round pick. Curtis Hall was a fourth round. And that's fine. And that's fine. I'm not saying that I expect Curtis. I'm not saying that I expect Curtis Hall to be Tage Thompson. I'm just saying having that kind of size and the ability to skate the way he does. Usually, as I said about Tage, when you see somebody that big, you expect gangly arms and legs flying in all sorts of different directions and, you know, all knees and elbows. So um, the fluidity and the, the, the stride and everything else, that's important. And just to highlight the difference in Providence and Maine this year for him. Yep. Eight games, four PIMS, plus two in Providence. That's it. Eight games, five goals, five PIMS, plus two in Maine with pretty unfamiliar teammates, but you don't score five goals in eight games uh, without a little boost of confidence. Um, I hope that that carries over. And I hope by the end of the season, he's at least back in the AHL. Um, I would like to see that. Yeah. uh, Because quite honestly, I don't even recognize most of the names on the main Mariner uh, on the main Mariner roster. No. Um, 
I mean, Brandon Boosie might be the only player uh, he actually met before going to Maine. <laughs> they would know each other from Providence, yes. Because. Uh, wow. <laughs> uh, I don't even see another Ohio-born player for that he might have uh, might have known. And yes, Chagrin Falls, Ohio, is Curtis Hall's uh, point of origin. Now that we've covered the prospects, the injury reports, the anti-injury reports, yeah, let's dive into the big question of the week. Um, big question. And I pose this question because, once again, uh, we have a team heading into the playoffs with two dynamic players who even their fan base lacks believability in. The fan base lacks believability. Okay. You watch, like if you spend any time at all in, uh, in the uh, Reddit, Reddit sub for, for this team, for their team, there's a lot of questions about at least one of the players. Um, but we're okay. going to talk about the comparison first. Go back, sure. uh, go back uh, in your favorite time machine, whether it's a DeLorean, a Wayback Machine, or a uh, or something else. Okay. Henrik and Daniel Sedin drafted, came into the league together, played their entire careers together for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, Vancouver made a deal to trade up so that they could trade both of them. After in their in the case of these two, it was after they had threatened to never come to the NHL if they weren't drafted to the same team. Um, but it was, and they played really effectively for several years. Um, you know, Daniel Sedin, the goal scorer. Um, 1,306 games, 393 goals, um, very nearly a point per game for most of their, most of his career. Okay. Henrik Sedin, the centerman, 1,330 games, 240 goals, 830 assists. Um, that's a lot of assists. That's a lot of assists. Uh, and they were in a fairly weak division for much of their careers, certainly the peak of their careers, the old Northwest division. They were the only team that made the playoffs several years uh, from that division. And I don't know that at, when that team was at its peak, uh, that anyone actually from within the division challenged them. Okay. Um, the, they played their whole careers. They got to the Stanley Cup Finals once. Or they arrived at the Stanley Cup Finals once. And their impact at that level was minute. I think it's Did they actually play thing. against Boston? They were indeed on the ice against Boston. Whether okay. you consider that playing or not is a different question. No, the, usually I, if they're there, I'd notice them. I didn't notice them. And that, that's where the, where the major point of comparison between Henrik and Daniel Sedin 
and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner comes in. Comparison, huh? Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, you can't complain at all about the two of them in the regular season. True. Marner, right wing, although I swear he takes more time at center than Austin Matthews. Um, his career, 456 games, 150 goals. 350, 340 assists for 490 total points. Okay. Uh, nothing shabby there. He's even a plus 75 in those games. Austin Matthews, uh, listed center, uh, 436 games, 274 goals, 217 assists, 491 points, and listed at a plus 92 in his career. Okay. In the playoffs, <laughs> 39, uh, or let's see, playoff extras, let's see, he's got a career 39 playoff games and 33 points. So below that point per average game that he is in the regular season much like, say, <clears throat> Rick Nash, uh, dropping off in the playoffs. Um, Mitch Marner. Uh, Mitch Marner, 39 games played, 33 points as well, dropping uh, production. Um, in fact, Marner had two of his playoff seasons uh, in the 1920 and 2021 where he had no goals uh, in the two playoffs uh, in the two playoffs uh, series. I mean, Marner only has seven goals in 39 playoff games. I'm, I, I don't want to complain. I mean, I like Mitch he Marner. Is, he's, but he's a setup guy. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've always said that. I've always, you know, he's he's definitely the, the distributor. Um, is it fair to these four gentlemen? Yes, two of them are not – two of them are twins and two of them are not um, – to say that their own playoff performances are a lot of what's keeping them back. The question – are they highly talented offensively, but ultimately not winners? Yeah, I, I mean, all evidence points to the fact that right now, yes. Until they win something. I mean, what's the highest they've gone? Second round? Have they won a first round series? No. 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 Exactly my point. Until they at least make it to a second round or, or quarterfinal or something, then yeah, the, the what is this experiment gutting experiment? What is this effort gotten you in, in Toronto? You're not progressing any further than an opening round exit. And let's not forget that Matthews is between the two of them. They are 27.3% of the cap this year. 27.3% of the cap. That's effectively a third of your salary cap. Um, Just to put to put matters in even starker perspective. Okay. 
the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, the guys currently on their roster at just after noon on December 12, 2022, combined seven players come to $12.2 million. Okay. Austin Matthews, 11.6 and change million dollars. They are spending effective. They're spending less on any six guys they put on the ice in a game than they are on Austin Matthews at when you're when you're talking about their defense. <laughs> any six of those guys, less money than they're spending on Austin Matthews alone. Well, they're they're seven, the, the seven defensemen they have listed on cap friendly total twelve point two. Yes. <laughs> There's. We talked about this even before they brought in Tavares. Mm-hmm. And Tavares is making more money than Marner. Which is an insult, I think, to Marner, but okay. And it's not that John Tavares is a terrible player. He's not. I didn't say he was. Um, he's at just about a point per game this year. He's significantly older than the two uh, at 32 years old. Um, but he's also got a contract that runs, what is it, three more years, two more seasons at that $11 million, uh cap hit. Um, this was a pure Kyle Dubois. Uh, Kyle, Kyle Dubas, yeah. Kyle Dubas. <laughs> Wait, three players take up 40% of their cap? Yes, you're three. That's correctly. Three. Players, 40% of the cap. Three. And then you throw Nylander in, and you're almost at 50. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay, then. And their goaltender, who is... Oh, don't get me started. They're paying, they're paying for the wrong goaltender in my very, very... Well, they are way over... Yeah, the, the, the wrong goaltender is making the $4.7 million. <laughs> I don't know that either one of them is worth $4.7 million today. Samsonov is second best goalie in the NHL stats-wise. I want, I want someone to do that at least twice before they get to... No, I understand that, but I'm just saying that that it, it, if you had to choose, if you had to, a non oh. a non a non hockey educated person looked at this and said, Matt Murray must be the better goaltender. Um, yeah, he's not. Samson, if you if you're going to say this, you would say Samsonov is the one making 4.7 because clearly he's the better goaltender, but he's not making 4.7. I mean, Murray's numbers. <laughs> In all nine games that he's played, are not terrible. I mean, he's got a 932 in uh, in those nine games, but he's also known to break like China. It's not, yeah, that's a nice way to put it. Um. So here, here's here's I guess the next question, uh, or the next part of this discussion. Over the next five years, based on what you've seen. Because that will bring this, bring the, bring Matthews and Marner to about the age that the Sedins were when in that Stanley Cup final run. Okay. Do you see anything that convinces you 
these two players are going to flip the switch and be able to contribute to deep playoff runs, Stanley Cup lifting. Um, the answer to that would be no, because honestly, I don't think they'll be together. I think that Toronto is going to have to do something because there, I mean, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting change. They've yes. got these, they've got these two guys, three guys, four guys making 50% of their salary cap and they're not, nothing's changing. They're still getting first round exits you're not paying anybody else on the team in in a way that is reflective that you're trying to improve the team. It, it's almost like a it's almost like a Jeremy Jacobs situation as far as ownership goes. You know, just good enough to make the playoffs. That's what the Bruins were always accused of back in the '90s and the late '80s, '90s was that. Jacobs, the owner, the GM, Sinden, they just wanted to be good enough to make the playoffs. You get into the playoffs, you get some of that playoff money coming in, just good enough to make the playoffs. What yep. any any wins you get were gravy at that point in time. You just wanted to be good enough to make the playoffs. That's what I get from this team is that they're just they're happy just getting to the playoffs. Granted, the players aren't. I'm sure the players want to go further. Are they? We we remember a couple of years ago, okay, maybe a decade ago, um, the Colorado Avalanche had wedding a bunch of weddings planned and a trip to I forget where the first week after the regular season ended. And then they suddenly back into the playoffs. I believe that was Craig Anderson's time there. Um, I was going to say this has got to be after the after the wars with that they had with the Red Wings. Yeah, well after that, because <laughs> um, they showed up for those. <laughs> there are some there are some guys, and I there I could definitely name names from that roster who were just there. They're in the league to collect their paycheck, and they want to go home. Yeah, one of them ended up on the Bruins roster. His name is Martin Lapointe. But anyway, oh, he's a Red Wing, not an Avalanche. Sorry, but yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I don't know. I, I just, I don't, something tells me they're not going to be together. But even if they are together, I don't see anything changing because they're not changing anything else. The the team is not adjusting, growing, and fixing. You need to do something with that defense. You need to. I don't think that these two players can drag that team kicking and screaming anywhere. So, no. So, yes, I think they are like the Sedins. They are highly talented. But ultimately, they're not going anywhere. That was my thought, too. And I think it's unfortunate because I find them both entertaining to watch. It is unfortunate because it's not their fault. Uh, no, you can't blame them for the salaries they're making. The team, the players, the the players want the money. If the team is willing to pay them and hurt themselves in the long run, that's on the GM. I no, I'm 
I will blame them for not the ability, not having developed the ability to elevate their play in the playoffs. That okay. I think is from something that, from that standpoint, yes. That from that standpoint, it, it yes. They are as capable of studying and learning the tendencies of their opposition as anyone else in the league, and applying what they learn. And I don't think that they do it. Um. We are running a little bit heavy on time, uh, but we did put up an interesting poll uh, uh, during last week's show. Yeah. Um, it was the question of, would you make this trade? Brandon Carlo and Craig Smith plus prospect not named Lysel for Brock Besser. <laughs> um, the responses are somewhat amusing. Um. But the final vote, to my surprise, was 62.5% in favor. Um, I mean, I would make the trade if I were Boston, reluctantly, because mm-hmm. I do think that Brandon Carlo is a valuable player when he's got his head screwed on straight. And I think that Brock Besser added to this roster does enhance things even further. Okay. Um, it would, I think I think the ability to have Brock Besser on your second power play unit when you have Bergeron and Krejci on that first one, I think it makes your power play even scarier. I mean, yes, getting Craig Smith off the books is a plus. Losing Brandon Carlo... Uh, initially would be difficult to swallow. He's been playing better as of late and actually shooting the puck more. Yeah. Which um, is also odd to see, but he has been. Um, as far as the prospect not named Lysel, does it really matter which one it is, whether it's a Curtis Hall or whether it's uh, Merkulov or... Even Brett Harrison, yeah. Or Brett Harrison, I mean. Almost no. I would prefer that it be another center or something like that because I think they're thin enough at defense that uh, losing a defenseman is painful. Yes. I think they can get the job done. Right now their strength is goaltending and offense. And, and I and, and I like Brock, I like Besser. I, I mean, I just right now I don't make the deal. As much as getting Craig Smith off the off the roster would be, I just don't. I'm not seeing the Craig Smith that I saw when they first brought him in. No, he is not that player. Uh, and I don't know if he needs if he's just if his talent has expired or if he's just more injured than we're aware of. He doesn't look injured. But um No, but getting his three point one million off the books would be nice. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> it would be it would turn into a pretty much Bruins reunion out there because you also get Curtis Lazar Lazar on that roster. Jack Stadnika. Um <laughs> I forgot about that, yes. Uh, 
forgot Lazar went out there, and I and I felt bad because I like I like Curtis Lazar. I thought he was a I thought he was a good piece in that trade. I thought they'd hang on to him longer. But I thought there was another Bruins prospect or former Bruin on that team. I thought so too. System. Apparently not. Anyways, uh, I will come up with some other poll uh, sometime. Actually, last you last listeners, do you think that? Marner and Matthews are the modern, modern day, twins, the and modern that they're <laughs> gonna that they're impressive players, but never going to win. We'll put that poll together. It'll be in the uh, it'll be in the uh, show description when it, when we uh, get it out. Mm-hmm. Have a wonderful week. Happy holidays. Um, drive safe. And enjoy the hockey.